0: But not broken, with host Patrick Scroggins. As a U.S. Army attack helicopter pilot deployed in Iraq, Patrick faced a devastating crash, which resulted in him dying, losing a leg, and a slew of broken bones. Patrick's story of rehabilitation has helped others to overcome their own obstacles. Each week, Patrick recounts stories of inspiration and interviews guests who have overcome remarkable obstacles. This is Wounded But Not Broken, with your host, Patrick Scroggins.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to Wounded But Not Broken here, February 14th, Valentine's Day. I'd like to wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day. Uh, That being said, tonight's show is going to be a little bit short, uh, because people have uh, other engagements that they need to get to, and Spend time with loved ones and their lovely wives and such. So, uh, right now I'm here again with Joe Han. We're gonna we're gonna pick up kind of where we left off. We're gonna back up a little bit because reviewing the the last show, I just feel like there's a lot more to Joe's uh, younger years that we could all learn from, and uh, it's just a, it's a very inspiring story. And so, I'd like to welcome Joe, and uh, let's just dive right into it, man. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. So we, you know, I know you, you hashed over, you know, be uh, your younger years in a foster child and all that kind of stuff. And um, I know there's a lot of people that can relate and, and I know it's probably a pretty tough subject to talk about, about, uh, you know, overcoming uh, that kind of adversities being that young. And, but, you know, you had mentioned that it kind of set you up for, it it puts you in the right mindset, but, you know, let's go back, let's talk about that of, uh, you know, kind of, of you're you're growing up and you're coming to age,
2: yeah, um you know like they say uh pressure can do two things, you know, they can create diamonds or it can make you crumble so but um ah, born and raised in texas uh born in odessa actually, great football uh part of the world, and um relocated to uh central texas um about about four or five. My mom was diagnosed with, uh, cancer, uh, and it was untreatable. So kind of witnessed her go through as much treatment as she could, but then, you know, it was back in the eighties. So it wasn't, uh, wasn't as advanced as today, but, you know, still one of those diseases that, um, you can't really, uh, fight, uh, all the way. So it was tough kind of watching her. I remember going to visit her at the hospital, um. I remember her coming home. I didn't realize it when I was younger, obviously, but, you know, I thought she was, um, kind of over the hump, but it was, it was complete opposite. She'd come home on uh, hospice and, uh, no, it was tough. I remember, remember the day she died, um, hearing my dad crying and, and then we got picked up by some folks from the church that we were going to at the time. Um, and after her funeral, uh, my dad just kind of fell apart. He had already had a, a bunch of, uh, issues with alcohol. Um, but he was, uh, now he definitely fell apart and he had my brother and my sister and I, so the three of us, um, three of us that are really small. My sister was like two. I was, like I said, I was about four or five. My brother's a year older than me. Um, and he, he tried as best he could, but, uh, definitely, uh, in the end, CPS came and picked us up. Um child protective services uh for the state of Texas because my dad wasn't able to take care of us um amidst his uh depression. So yeah, five and a half, uh at my first emergency shelter, kinda just confused and, and lost. They, they actually picked up my brother and sister first because I was in kindergarten outside. So I got off at uh noon. I remember riding my bike home, kinda getting to the house. Um my dad was kinda scrambling around, he was panicking. Um I was, you know, just kind of lost. And I was like, hey, where's Dennis and Tiffany? And uh, he was like, all right, get in the car. And we were going to – I remember it was, it was kind of a funny little day because at first we started driving up to Oklahoma where my aunt and uncle lived. Um, and then he turned around and started uh, driving the opposite direction. And he went back and goes, hey, you want to go live in Mexico? And I was just, like, completely confused. But um, he ended up turning back around went back to the house and uh, slept at the neighbor's house. And then the next day that – the state kind of picked me up by myself. And so I ended up in a different uh, emergency shelter than my brother and sister did initially. And we floated around for about two or three years in different homes, and we finally got together at a at a home. Where they kind of put us all together because my dad was... Well, they were trying to give my dad an opportunity to kind of straighten himself out and take us back. But uh, he, he couldn't pull himself together. He was uh, down a deep, dark hole, and... Um, the state of Texas ended up uh, terminating his parental rights and we went up for adoption. Uh, for first time I was about eight um, at this awesome home. Uh, these people were really excited uh, to, to take us in and we um, get to the home. Uh, great people lived out in the country. They actually own EMUs. That's how they're making their money. We or not. Adoption is a, a costly process. No matter how you look at it, And you want to make sure you're financially stable as well as uh know good home you know married and, and uh, not too many obligations those so people worked at home they, they raised the um uh, uh, a couple months into because you have like a six month uh call it a trial period but you kind of get used to living at uh being a family together and you know the, the people that aren't used to having kids are getting used to having kids and the kids are getting used to have a full-time family uh at this point i'd already been through at least 10 12 different foster homes a um, couple months into it, uh, they were kind of telling us that the, uh, that they only wanted our little sister. They didn't want the two boys because they always wanted a little girl, and, and me and my brother, I guess, were kind of a handful at the time, and so they asked the uh, caseworker if they could just have her, um, and uh, say, it's a caseworker that time. She was awesome. Basically told them flat out, no, you got adopted adopt all three of them. we we'll are trying to keep these three together. They've been through a lot. Um, they put us back into foster care. Uh, we bounced around to a couple more homes. Uh, and then second time, we went for adoption, about 13. Uh, same thing, ended up panning out, was they wanted my little sister. She's a couple of years younger than us. So, initial time, she was like five, and the second time, she was like eight. Um, same thing, the, the home was all like, can, can we just adopt a little girl? Uh, so, uh, it was tough. They pulled me and my brother aside, and they they sat us down. was 13, he was 14, and they, they basically explained to us, like, hey, um, we can put all three of you guys back in foster homes and try to put you guys up for adoption, but you guys are getting of age, you and your brother that no one wants to adopt a teenage kid, especially teenage boys. <clears throat> and they, uh, they basically gave us a choice. They're like, Hey, um, you guys want, uh, want all three go back into care? Or do you want to have your sister become adopted by this family and, and you guys go back into foster care? so uh now we we talked about it, and we're like hey we want want our little sister to at least have some resemblance of a uh a good life, so we blessed it and nodded to it told her casework at the time um yeah let's let's do it, keep her there, let her have the family, and we'll go back to foster care um, bounced around to uh about twenty or thirty more homes before I finally uh settled in in one foster home, my junior in high school was uh actually a a lifesaver because at the time i was i was at home i kind of mentioned it last episode about the the home i was at that basically the kid graduated high school and they dropped him off at a bus station and that was the home before my last one um and i you know i got scared and nervous i didn't have a driver's license i have a bank account about 16 at the time i just turned 17 um i wanted to apply to colleges and do all the stuff but the home i was at uh didn't have any interest in it because it takes a little effort to drive kids to take the ACTs and SATs and, uh, being foster parents, you only get paid a certain amount and they only got paid to take care of us and get paid for any extra activities. Yeah. The, the last time I was at, I requested to be moved again. Um, caseworker I had, uh, basically explained to me that, uh, I wouldn't going to be allowed to move anywhere else, um, because i uh, I moved too much and, and my only option was a uh hospital. So they wanted to put me in a hospital care because they thought something was wrong with me. Um but we were not the baseball coach at the school I was at was a uh, foster parents and um before the last ditch effort my case were kinda of reached out to the other foster homes in the town and lo and behold the, the baseball coach that was there uh said yeah we'll take them and uh the case worker was quite pleasantly surprised because the rest of the homes kind of didn't want to step on anybody's toes it was a small community um and and they turned me down immediately but uh no they, they took me in and uh i immediately hit the ground running with with these folks uh ended up getting a driver's license that summer i worked I started working on a ranch for five bucks an hour, building fences and, and stuff like that. It was it was it was no crap, like really hard, tough Texas work, which uh, I'm grateful for because it, it kind of taught me some good life lessons too. Um, yeah. And they helped me. and they set me up for success. I ended up going to kind of if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have been able to get into the college I was in because they helped me with all that stuff. But uh, now they're the foster family that I still talk to to this day, um, and I consider them pretty much my my family
1: man that's that's a I don't know, that's a pretty powerful story and uh, it just brings us right now we're going to take a break and i'm going to let that every, everything sink in to the listeners about about what you just said and uh, we'll pick we'll pick back up where you left off after the break here's a word from our sponsors you're
0: listening to wounded but not broken With host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Look at family tradition.
3: I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat.
2: To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very
3: reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667.
4: Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com.
3: Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated, it's cumbersome, and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC.
0: Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. Hello
1: everybody, welcome back. I know that, uh, you know, that was a pretty powerful uh, segment of that episode. And uh, for Joe to open up and, and tell that story, you know, I'm grateful. I think a lot of people can learn from that because if you look at it from a different perspective, you know, bad things happen to good people, but it's up to them. Good people to make the best of the bad things. And, you know, I I mean, I can't speak for Joe, but uh, to me, that would be, uh, I know Joe's mindset and, and he's not going to fail. And so that just made him stronger from dealing with that from such a young age. I know that uh, Joe and I had similar, uh, you know, younger life experiences with mother having cancer and dying and stuff like that. And it's, uh, it changes you. And so, you know, you just like when something bad happens to you, you can look at it a couple of different ways. You can, you can get sad and feel sorry for yourself and want people to take care of you. Or you can, uh, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and say, this is not going to beat me. And I'm become the best son of a bitch that ever lived. And that's, that's the mindset you got to have. And, and it sounds like, uh, well, I mean, that's what Joe's done. I mean, he's become, you know, uh, the things that Joe accomplished in his life are unbelievable. But Joe, I just have a couple of questions for you. So at a young age, I mean, I know that that had to affect you. Um, and, you know, when did you start approaching that stuff as, you know, and, and turn it into a positive to, to really drive you?
2: Uh, God, it, it, it was in my high school years for sure. Um, my eighth grade kind of on, um, I remember before that in elementary school and beginning of my middle school years, like sixth grade, seventh grade, I was in some dark places, you know, I was definitely super depressed. Uh, I felt unwanted, um, you know, bounce around from home to home, just from different perspectives. Not, I mean, I, I bounced around to so many places. Uh, I started seeing foster homes that I was initially put into when I was like five or six and then when I'm like 12, 13, I'm like, Hey, I, I used to live here. And like, yeah, yeah. And then we had to move you and, and you're back now because there's not a whole lot of other homes we can move you through. Um, I felt uh, I felt unimportant and, and definitely uh, definitely unwanted. And as a kid, it was, uh, it was a tough experience to get through. Um, definitely went through a phase where I didn't really give a crap about anybody and um, pretty stubborn at times. And, uh, and, and there was nothing really I felt like that he could threaten you with kind of deal. And like, oh, you, know, you won't be able to go home because a lot of foster kids, it's, foster care is usually pretty temporary unless you're going to be somewhere for adoption or whatever. Um, a lot of kids, if they started having troubles, they would be like, Hey, if you got to be, you know, on your, on point as well, as your parents, before you guys get placed
1: back in your home. Um, they couldn't really threaten me with that since I really didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, uh, did, did but, you go, did you go through like a lot of bullying at school and, and stuff like that? I did. I did. Um, uh, I, I was kind of goofy
2: in school. Um, kind of used that to hide some of my, uh my darker times and so it's a big goofball i wasn't afraid to take a dare um sometimes i would uh, make stuff up to to seem cool but no i I definitely went through a couple schools because i went to big schools small schools medium-sized schools and uh especially being a foster kid you're not uh you're not one of the kids that's been there since kindergarten that's been a part of the community since especially in texas very community-based um so at first being the new kid's kinda cool, but afterwards they kinda find out you're a foster kid and it's like uh it's definitely a different different uh perspective on what kids think of you. Um yeah, no, it was uh definitely was
1: bullied quite a bit uh in my elementary and junior high years. So the the way you look at it now, I mean, the the things that you have accomplished are tremendous, and and we're going to talk about more about that uh, next week. But you look at it now, you know, would would you change anything?
0: Uh,
2: it's tough, you know, because I, I wouldn't want to change it because I definitely experienced a lot as a kid um, that kind of helped shape who I am. Uh, I mean, there's some things that I wish I would have had an older version of me to kind of shake myself a little bit. Um, be like, Hey dude, you know, all you gotta do is kind of focus on something. Uh, but the big thing that was my focus growing up, I, I wouldn't change anything uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but, uh, the big thing that I was focused on when I was growing up was being a doctor. Like ever since I learned that, you know, my mom died of cancer, I was like, I was like six, seven years old. Um, when my dad lost his rights and they're trying to up for adoption you know, at that age, I was like, you know what? I'm going to cure cancer and be the guy that does it. And, uh, I did all the into science and math and, you know, I had this fake lab coat and would, uh, pretend like I was mixing stuff up and, and had this microscope that I always carried with me, um, as much as I could have uh, uh, bounced around from home to home, but, um,
1: yeah. I definitely wouldn't, uh, probably change too much about it. And so the, the doctor dream that you had, you were, you were doing that, right? Like you went, you were going to, and to be a doctor.
2: Yeah. Uh, I had a pre-med, I uh, was going to yeah, pre-med, uh, biomedical science was the, uh, degree bachelor's degree I was going after. And, um, I was doing real well. I'm a, like a three, eight something in college, my first year. I was that's horrible at history and English, so it was a struggle for me. But like organic chemistry and math and stuff, I, I was crushing those things. It was just something that really interested me. Um, so yeah, I was doing I was doing great when I was in college, and that was my main focus. Like the military, like I mentioned before, the military really didn't
1: cross my mind until after September 11th. Right, as a as you know, same for me. I mean, it was uh, you know a lot of us. That was kind of a turning point in in our lives and our country and, and the history, you know, just wanted to be a part of it. But, uh, you know, that being said, um, we're going to break one more time here for word from our sponsors. When we come back, I'm going to give a closing because it's Valentine's day and a lot of us have things planned. And then, uh, I'll just say that next week that we are going to jump into Joe's amazing military career. Uh, so we'll be right back. Word from our sponsors.
0: You're listening to Wounded but Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Attention,
3: looking for semi drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you're going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847 847- We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer.
4: Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio broadcast for over 15 years. High quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985 serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com.
3: Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated. It's cumbersome and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken
0: with host Patrick Scroggin. Hello,
1: everybody. Welcome back uh, here with Joe. Joe, i got a couple of questions, just two questions, and then we're going to close it up for tonight, but... So uh, first question is, how is your brother and sister, and what are they doing now?
2: Uh, so, yeah, my uh, my older brother, he uh, he went to college for a little bit, but ended up ultimately becoming a truck driver. He's been a truck driver, gosh, since he was like 19, 20, so over 20 years now. Uh, my sister, uh, she struggled a little bit in high school years. Actually, uh, when I was in college at A&M, she ended up dropping out of high school and moved in with me, and I told her, I was like, hey, you you can't just live here for free and do what you want. You got to finish your your high school degree. Um, Ultimately, she ended up getting her GED uh, and now she's a physical therapist assistant. So she works with uh, old people, young folks with uh, disabilities and injuries and whatnot. I think part of of my stuff that I went through when I got hurt kind of inspired her to uh, get into that field. Um, She's always been kind of like I was wanting to do something in the medical field. Um, and now she, you know, day in and day out, she helps physically, uh, physical therapy for lots of people. So
1: I'm proud of her. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you all have a, a great relationship, I'm assuming.
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, believe it or not, I was I was super keen, especially in my high school years on keeping in touch with them. So I would harass my caseworkers. Um, back then it was difficult because, you know, in the 90s, Especially early to mid nineties, there wasn't a whole lot of emails, all telephones, attached to the landlines. So, uh especially about the homes we bounced around too it was tough trying to keep track of their homes and their numbers. But um uh, I'd try to phone calls and and snail mail, you know, actually write them letters. Um and we graduated high school and we all ended up, you know, getting phones and whatnot and like I said, now we're, we're extremely close and I talked to my brother at least once, twice a week, same thing with my sister. Um and it's it's kind of rare because majority of kids that uh, kind of graduate out of foster care um, without a whole lot of nowadays they actually got a whole lot of uh, resources for kids transitioning out of foster care but uh, back then it was they they were very limited so most kids would end up going back to their their home states kind of turning into the, to crime or or gangs or something um, God there's like a outrageous percentage like seventy seventy five percent would end up you know, get in some, some type of trouble in some way, shape or form. Um, and so it, it's rare to see, uh, uh, especially all three siblings kind of turn out something great and not be stuck in somewhere. So, yeah, that's, that's
1: awesome. And, uh, did your, did your father ever, ever come back into the picture? And, and, uh, you know, I know, you know, that, uh, unfortunately he recently, uh, passed away, but, uh, did he come back in the, in the future or in the, in the picture and you were able to, to repair some of that, uh, trauma from when you were younger
2: so uh, so my my senior in high school i uh i had a, a casa volunteer that was assigned to me an advocate pretty much um and they helped me get a private investigator and that was my one thing i wanted i was like hey i don't want anything else in the world uh but i want to make sure my dad's at my high school graduation can we find him um and we had a private investigator track him down to washington state Um, And I, with the money I earned from the summer before working fences, we bought him a plane ticket. Uh, So him and his girlfriend at the time uh, were at my high school graduation. And that was a big uh, healing moment for me uh, just because, you know, I was able to, I wasn't sure how he mentally took, you know, not being around and not losing his parental rights and kind of just being a mess most of his life. But we told him, it's like, Hey, You know, the past is the past, you know, me and my brother graduated the year before and I was graduating that year and we told him, we're like, Hey, you can, you, we want you in our lives. There's no way that anybody can keep you away from that uh, now because we're out of foster care. He wasn't allowed to come visit us after he lost his rights. Um, but as adults, you know, they had no say, it's up to us. And so we told him, Hey, we want you in our lives. You can, you are still our father. Um, and repairing that, uh, relationship, um, especially the past 20 plus years uh, was ups and downs. That initial first couple of months was great. Um, he actually was starting to seek help. He was on uh, a, a slew of other things besides alcohol. He was kind of addicted to some drugs. Um, and I think him flying down there and seeing us and kind of hearing us say that we forgive him and that we want to be a part of his life. He started going on a, a pretty good road there for a little bit, uh, which was great. Uh, and, yeah, no, we, we mended that relationship as best we could, uh, and then started doing you know, being adults, starting to get into careers. I was going to college and I joined the Navy, uh, and he kinda fell off the wagon again and, and started uh down his uh destructive path a little bit. Um and yeah, the story with my dad was uh was tough because uh especially recently, the past few years, um he's been really hard. He's almost seventy but drugs and and alcohol took a toll on his body and he ended up going to a coma a few years back uh, because he overdosed for about three days. And I thought that would kind of shake him sober. Um, But after he got out of the hospital, he got back to the house he was staying in, Uh, he ended up kind of falling back down that path again. But I I told him, I was like, Hey man, you're not going to die alone no matter what path you choose. Um, And so I basically would come around at least once a month, once every other month, and just harass him, make sure he had food and water, and, and I'd yell at his landlord um, because he was definitely getting neglected, but part of it was his fault and part of it wasn't my landlord's fault. Uh, long story short, though, he ended up getting hit by a car about six months ago because uh, he decided he wanted Sonic at 1.30 in the morning while he was drunk and high um, and ended up breaking both his legs pretty bad. Uh they flew him out here closer to me, close to Dallas, uh, to get, you know, surgery and whatnot. And, uh, he was like forced to sober up completely because obviously you're in the hospital getting your, your legs fixed. You've been through that. And, uh, so have I, like it was reconstructive kind of, deal, plates and screws the whole nine yards. Um, and, uh, now it was, it was good seeing him clean because after all the surgeries and kind of came off of that, he was, uh, kind of getting motivated. Um, He had developing an infection in one of his legs, and they had to amputate uh, above the knee on it. And I thought I was going to lose him for depression because he was super depressed there for, you know, about a month, two months. Um, But then he started, you know, they started talking about prosthetic legs, and he got super stoked. And he, uh, like, yeah, like probably a month ago, he was he was talking about how he's getting up and walking and, and I better, you know, watch myself cause he didn't come and kick me with his good foot in my ass. And I thought it was funny. Uh, un no, unfortunately a couple of weeks ago, he, he had a stroke, uh, didn't recover from that. And ended up passing away, uh, at the end of January.
1: Yeah, that's, that's hard no matter what the circumstances are. Um, you know, I, I don't know, man. I'm kind of speechless. Um, a lot of that stuff I didn't know. And, uh, you know, for the listeners, if you know, when you're listening, if you can't take something from that, uh, you know, I know everybody, cancer has touched every one of our lives and it's touched Joe's life in more ways than one. And, um, I just, I can't go on to explain that we have, we have choices that we make in life and you, you know, and for the most part you're in control of your destiny. No matter what your background is, no matter what you've done, what you've been through, you can control your destiny and by the choices that you make and how hard you work. And Joe is a true testament to that, as as well as a lot of a lot of veterans. I mean, it's just it's amazing these stories and you know, I, I have the privilege and the honor of calling Joe one of my very closest friends. And, you know, Joe, thanks for coming on tonight on Valentine's Day. I know you've got big plans with your wife and uh you know, I'm gonna yeah. go out and grab a I'm going to go grab a bite as well. And uh, we're going to be on next week. And uh, next week we'll probably run a little bit longer just because I want to make sure that your story gets told. Uh, but again, man, thanks. Thanks for, for telling your story tonight. Thanks to everybody for listening. And I hope everybody goes back and listens to this again, because that was super powerful, um, you know, for Joe to talk about that. And uh, I thank you, man. Oh, pleasure to talk Yeah, shit, It's my pleasure, man. But yeah, so... Everybody, we will uh, we'll be back on next week with uh, part three, and I hope you all have a wonderful night and a wonderful week. God bless you.
0: You're listening to Wounded but Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggins. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Lucky like family tradition.
3: I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat.
0: To be the truck
2: driver, you're not just only. See where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new, and then it's very reliable.
3: At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers,